the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We're going to start a brand new book tonight. A good thing here on the Bible Live broadcast shows we're making progress, and also it's just interesting. You know, one of the greatest ways to interpret the Scripture, of course, is let the Scriptures interpret the Scriptures. So the better we know the whole book, the whole Bible, the better we'll be able to interpret its individual parts, the individual books. Tonight we're going to move into the book of Ecclesiastes, which means the preacher. And this is going to be very interesting because we have just finished the book of Job. And the book of Job is about a wealthy person who loses everything. He loses his family. He loses possessions, his wealth. He loses his health. And he ends up sitting on the ground with boils and blisters all over him and with some friends that if you didn't have enemies, these friends would be just fine. I guess they gave it their best shot, and they got corrected in the end. So I guess all's well that ends well in that sense. But Job is a book about suffering, difficulties, pain here on planet Earth. How does that play a part in the plan of God for human experience and human existence? That's the book of Job. Well, tonight we move to the book of Ecclesiastes, where we're going to talk about another wealthy man, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, just like Job was, but nothing goes wrong. We're talking about David's son, Solomon. He came into this nation at the peak of its power and influence and prosperity, and he just went with it. And for 40 years, he had this unbelievably charmed life, you might say, wealth, women, wine, the whole bit. He had everything. And he's going to tell us his perspective. We've listened to Job now. We've heard Job's perspective and thoughts about 
life and about eternal life and about life after death and all of these themes, now we're going to listen to the son of a king who had everything he wanted. Before we go, though, to the book of Ecclesiastes, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, too. We read half of it last night, Psalm 102, and tonight we'll come back and pick up the second part on the Bible Life. Psalm 102, 18 through 28. Let this be recorded for future generations, so that a nation yet to be created will praise the Lord. Tell them the Lord looked down from his heavenly sanctuary. He looked to the earth from heaven to hear the groans of the prisoners, to release those condemned to die. And so the Lord's fame will be celebrated in Zion, his praises in Jerusalem when multitudes gather together and kingdoms come to worship the Lord. He has cut me down in midlife, shortening my days. But I cried to him, My God, who lives forever, don't take my life while I am still so young. In ages past, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will fade away. But you are always the same. Your years never end. The children of your people will live in security. Their children's children will thrive in your presence. End of reading Psalm 102, 18-28. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And isn't that the truth? The God of the Bible, the true and living God, the creator of everything that exists, is an awesome, almost incomprehensible. Our minds cannot contain the greatness of the being that created this universe Not only just the sheer creative act, but even sustaining this and his redemptive purpose for humanity. It's overwhelming when we meditate upon it and live in it, and yet it's overwhelming in the best possible way. He cares about us. He loves us. He has made a way for us to experience him in this life and to continue that relationship with him, with God's people, all through eternity. That's the story, and I'm sticking to it, buddy. If you're out there and you're hungry for God, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not, if you're church-going or not, that's not the issue. First, you believe that God is there, and secondly, you long to know that God. You want to be in a relationship with God. Well, I'm telling you, it looks like the greatest odds are that God has revealed himself, and we read about him and can come to know him and become reconciled to him. Through the message of this book, he has spoken, he has acted just for that purpose. Well, now we're going to read the book of Ecclesiastes. When Solomon became king, he asked God for wisdom, you remember, and he became the wisest man in the world, it is said. But then he walked away from God, and he experienced a sinful side. He went out there making a testimony for himself, I guess, as so many do. And now at the end of his life, probably around 935 B.C., He writes the book of Ecclesiastes talking about his very honest summary of what life is all about. It seems negative and pessimistic in some ways, but you have to chalk it up to his own own experience. A lot of his wounds were self-inflicted. Ecclesiastes 1.1 through 6.12 
Ecclesiastes 1. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work? Generations come and go, but nothing really changes. The sun rises and sets and hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and north, here and there, twisting back and forth, getting nowhere. The rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows again to the sea. Everything is so weary and tiresome. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. What can you point to that is new? How do you know it didn't already exist long ago? We don't remember what happened in those former times, and in future generations no one will remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done in the world. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. Everything under the sun is meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be righted. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, Look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I worked hard to distinguish wisdom from foolishness. But now I realize that even this was like chasing the wind. For the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Ecclesiastes 2 I said to myself, come now, let's give pleasure a try. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. It is silly to be laughing all the time, I said. What good does it do to seek only pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. While still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I hoped to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned great herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. And with it all, I remained clear-eyed so that I could evaluate all these things. Anything I wanted, I took. I did not restrain myself from any joy. I even found great pleasure in hard work an additional reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So I decided to compare wisdom and folly, and anyone else would come to the same conclusions I did. 
Wisdom is of more value than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise person sees, while the fool is blind. Yet I saw that wise and foolish people share the same fate. Both of them die. Just as the fool will die, so will I. So of what value is all my wisdom? Then I said to myself, This is all so meaningless. For the wise person and the fool both die, and in the days to come, both will be forgotten. So now I hate life because everything done here under the sun is so irrational. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I am disgusted that I must leave the fruits of my hard work to others. And who can tell me whether my successors will be wise or foolish? And yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work. How meaningless! So I turned in despair from hard work. It was not the answer to my search for satisfaction in this life. For though I do my work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, I must leave everything I gain to people who haven't worked to earn it. This is not only foolish, but highly unfair. So what do people get for all their hard work? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night they cannot rest. It is all utterly meaningless. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that this pleasure is from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from Him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please Him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please Him. Even this, however, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Ecclesiastes 3 You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to rebuild, a time to cry, and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to turn away, a time to search, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak up, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have thought about this in connection with the various kinds of work God has given people to do. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose in this is that people should fear Him. Whatever exists today and whatever will exist in the future has already existed in the past. For God calls each event back in its turn. I also noticed that throughout the world there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. I said to myself, in due season God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. 
Then I realized that God allows people to continue in their sinful ways so he can test them. That way they can see for themselves that they are no better than animals. For humans and animals both breathe the same air and both die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless! Both go to the same place, the dust from which they came and to which they must return. For who can prove that the human spirit goes upward and the spirit of animals goes downward into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is why they are here. No one will bring them back from death to enjoy life in the future. Ecclesiastes 4 Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place in our world. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power, and the victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. And most fortunate of all are those who were never born, for they have never seen all the evil that is done in our world. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success by their envy of their neighbors. But this, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Foolish people refuse to work and almost starve. They feel it is better to be lazy and barely survive than to work hard, especially when in the long run everything is so futile. I observed yet another example of meaninglessness in our world. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asked himself, Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. They get a better return for their labor. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. And on a cold night, two under the same blanket can gain warmth from each other. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. It is better to be a poor but wise youth than to be an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could come from prison and succeed. He might even become king, though he was born in poverty. Everyone is eager to help such a youth, even to help him take the throne. He might become the leader of millions and be very popular, but then the next generation grows up and rejects him. So again, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Ecclesiastes 5. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Don't be a fool who doesn't realize that mindless offerings to God are evil. And don't make rash promises to God, for He is in heaven and you are only here on earth. So let your words be few. Just as being too busy gives you nightmares, being a fool makes you a blabbermouth. So when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It is better to say nothing than to promise something that you don't follow through on. In such cases, your mouth is making you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry, and He might wipe out everything you have achieved. Dreaming all the time instead of working is foolishness, and there is ruin in a flood of empty words. Fear God instead. 
If you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and justice being miscarried throughout the land, don't be surprised, for every official is under orders from higher up, and matters of justice only get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. Those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what is the advantage of wealth, except perhaps to watch it run through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. But the rich are always worrying and seldom get a good night's sleep. There is another serious problem I have seen in the world. Riches are sometimes hoarded to the harm of the saver, or they are put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. People who live only for wealth come to the end of their lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day they were born. And this, too, is a very serious problem. As people come into this world, so they depart. All their hard work is for nothing. They have been working for the wind, and everything will be swept away. Throughout their lives they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat well, drink a good glass of wine, and enjoy their work, whatever they do under the sun, for however long God lets them live. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and a good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, that is indeed a gift from God. People who do this rarely look with sorrow on the past, for God has given them reasons for joy. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Ecclesiastes 6. There is another serious tragedy I have seen in our world. God gives great wealth and honor to some people and gives them everything they could ever want. But then he doesn't give them the health to enjoy it. They die and others get it all. This is meaningless, a sickening tragedy. A man might have a hundred children and live to be very old. But if he finds no satisfaction in life and in the end does not even get a decent burial, I say he would be better off born dead. I realize that his birth would have been meaningless and ended in darkness. He wouldn't even have had a name, and he would never have seen the sun or known of its existence. Yet he would have had more peace than he has in growing up to be an unhappy man. He might live a thousand years twice over, but not find contentment. And since he must die like everyone else, well, what's the use? All people spend their lives scratching for food, but they never seem to have enough. Considering this, do wise people really have any advantage over fools? Do poor people gain anything by being wise and knowing how to act in front of others? Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It is like chasing the wind. Everything has already been decided. It was known long ago what each person would be. So there's no use arguing with God about your destiny. The more words you speak, the less they mean. So why overdo it? In the few days of our empty lives, who knows how our days can best be spent? And who can tell what will happen in the future after we are gone? End of reading Ecclesiastes 1.1 through 6.12 
You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The king of Israel, Solomon, had more privilege and power and wealth than any of the kings before him. And of course, that was only two. That was King Saul and his own father, King David. But still, Solomon is at the peak of his power, his influence, his wealth. We know a little bit of what he did with that over the years, but he walked away from God for a great part of his life. And only now he's looking back over life and giving us this very candid evaluation a candid summary of his life and the lessons that he has learned. Once again, just like in the experience of Job, we know more than Solomon knew. Solomon is giving his best from a God-centered worldview. And basically what he's saying is that nothing, not anything in this world, has any value or long-term significance apart from the relationship with God. But we actually know more than that even. We know from the Bible some greater insights, and one of the things is that God promises that he will not give us more than we can handle. He will not tempt us above what we're able Solomon comes to some amazing conclusions at the last chapter. And sometimes you're tempted to just go and read those last verses and get his conclusions. But it's really worthwhile to go through his process, the process of evaluation, and to follow his thinking. Today, we have so many who are chasing riches and power and degrees and fame and honors and accomplishments. But he tells us it's all nothing. You can go to the last chapter and save yourself this whole long journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. And there is something to that. Uh, You can go to chapter 12 there, and his conclusions are positive and uplifting. At the same time, though, it's interesting to go through the process. The tone seems negative and pessimistic, especially in these opening chapters, because Solomon is describing his own personal experiences and his general observations of his life that was pretty well wasted and not well lived. So Solomon shares it. So there's a lot of negativity and pessimism. But don't conclude that. He's only talking about how empty life is without the relationship with God. On the other hand, with God, all of these things can become such beautiful blessings and such wonderful experiences for us. See you next time. Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kindle House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now, don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.